this special presentation of Earth 295's award-winning documentary, The Age of Apocalypse, is brought to you by the Janet Van Dyne Foundation for This One's for Hank, with financial support from Patreon backers, and additional support from viewers like you. If you'd like to know more about Multiversal Q, visit us at multiversalq.com, or engage with us on social medias in all universes. Enjoy. is coming when we shall face opponents who will not be nearly as forgiving as the zone computers. There are those who would see us, all mutants, dead. If we do not, cannot rely on each other, then we have nothing. Magneto. It was quiet when the massive space cruiser belonging to Insabanor, more commonly known as Apocalypse, appeared over Cape Citadel, Florida the command center for the United States nuclear missiles. Apocalypse released his horsemen, mutants of immense power, hand-selected and augmented by him, including Victor Creed, the man known as Sabretooth. And in an instant, the world was changed as mutants became known to the public. They were a potential death that could come as suddenly as an atomic bomb, but were controlled by their own individual whims. As the human guards were powerless to stop the horsemen, hope came in the form of a squadron controlled by Eric Lindshare, a man also known as Magneto. His team, the X-Men, had arrived to help. Apocalypse's plan was a massive nuclear strike all across the Earth to cull the weak in a deranged take on Darwin's survival of the fittest. Sabretooth found himself hesitant to go along with the mass murder intended by Apocalypse, and quickly found himself aligning with the X-Men. As the fight raged on outside, Magneto, using his magnetic powers, demolished the entire complex, thereby stopping the nuclear threat, while outside, the team of X-Men stood victorious over the horsemen. Apocalypse, with his plans routed and his team betrayed, prepared his revenge by targeting the energy cannons of his battleship, named Ship, directly at the mutant saviors, preparing to ironically destroy the strongest mutants there. Magneto, in response, crippled the weapon systems on Ship, and Apocalypse was forced to retreat with his remaining horsemen. Now this was a pretty big deal because this is the first time anyone has seen and ever heard of this Apocalypse, a man who's supposedly thousands of years old. This man has incredible weaponry, incredible technology, and a vast array of powerful mutants going up against Magneto, an older man who was just leading a ragtag group of mutants who have never been tested in the field. The fact that they were able to pull off a victory here was incredible, and no one exactly knew what was going to happen afterwards. But tragedy waited back at Wondagore Mountain, the headquarters of the X-Men, as Magneto discovered the cost of war. 
while away from the base, Apocalypse's own son, known as Nemesis, had murdered Juana Maxima, the only daughter Magneto. As she lay dying in the arms of the new recruit, Rogue, her dying request to the new member of the X-Men was to look after her father, which in turn sparked one of the greatest passions the world would ever know, along with the war that would ultimately end the Age of Apocalypse. When Magneto returned, he was torn apart by grief, and carried with him an inhuman hate for the forces of Apocalypse. During his next encounter with Nemesis in Japan, Magneto stripped away his flesh, leaving him to die. And when Apocalypse reappeared later on with Ship, Magneto used almost all of his energy, destroying Apocalypse's alien aircraft at the cost of permanently having his own magnetic abilities. The Ghost Known as Magneto I too once believed in mutant rule. It was a fleeting notion spurred by the arrogance of my youth, quelled by the spirit of a long-dead friend, and if not for his grace, I surely would have become mankind's greatest foe. Twenty years later, I imagine him looking down from the heavens at what this world has become and wondering why I have failed his trust so miserably. Magneto Magneto had grown up in a world willing to show him the true nature of suffering. Born Max Eisenhart, he was a Jewish survivor of the Auschwitz concentration camp. Seeking a new start after the end of the Second World War, he adopted the surname Magnus, and with his love Magda, a fellow survivor of the camp, he attempted to start a new life in the Polish city of Winnystad. Magneto and his wife found themselves victims of hate and oppression. During an attack from the superstitious villagers, his magnetic powers first surfaced, destroying a large part of the city. In horror, Magda left, secretly giving birth to his two twins, Wanda and Pietro, before she died. Magneto, meanwhile, fled to Israel under the new identity known as Eric Lenscher, where he became fast friends with Charles Xavier, an optimistic British student working on genetics. Unfortunately, a freak accident involving an unknown assailant once again returned darkness to his life. In a moment of panic, Charles sacrificed himself to save Magneto, asking him to carry on his dream of peace between mutants and humans. Haunted by the sacrifice of his friend, Magneto began assembling mutants together to train them for a world that would hate and fear them, beginning with his own children. Pietro, a brash and wiry thin lad, had developed the ability to travel incredibly fast, while Wanda, a demure young woman, developed a form of probability control similar to magic. These years where Magneto was living with his son and daughter in Wondagore Mountain were ironically the most peaceful years of his life, despite him preparing for war. Here he was able to just be a person, albeit a person who could control the forces of magnetism, but he was able to bond with his children, and over time, what he considered to be his family expanded into what would become the X-Men. The family was reunited, unaware that in Egypt, Apocalypse began formulating his own plan. A rogue gesture. We are few, 
and Apocalypse's forces seem endless. We run our guerrilla raids, we rescue civilians, but what does it mean in the larger scheme? Has it slowed that monster one bit? All it has accomplished is to give false hope to the masses, send them to their deaths, with a rousing cheer of live free or die on their lips. Magneto. Yeah. Rogue, a mutant who had been saved by Raven Darkhome, had been dropped off at Wundagore Mountain, hours before the fateful events at Cave Citadel. Her power to absorb essences and powers through physical contact had left her alone in the world. In her previous attempt to escape Apocalypse's domain with Lorna Dane, Rogue had been forced to absorb Lorna Dane's magnetic powers at the cost of her own memories. When she had finally arrived at the mutant camp, hours later, she found herself being tasked by the dying Wanda Maximoff to look after her father, in turn building a close connection with the man who would help her shape her future and learn to control her powers. A later addition to the team was Remy LeBeau, also known as Gambit. He had been a member of the Thieves Guild of New Orleans, until his benefactor, Kandra, herself a horseman of Apocalypse, until she was mur- until she was murdered by Nemesis. Yeah. He had been a member of the Thieves Guild of New Orleans, which had been run by Kandra, until her murder by Nemesis dissolved the Ancient Order. Remy, who is now released from his family's obligation to serve Kandra, sought a higher cause with the X-Men, and quickly found himself smitten with Rogue. Caught between the two men who cared for her, Rogue ultimately chose to stay with Magneto, who she could physically touch due to their shared magnetic fields, and due to the greater deal of maturity that he offered compared to the Cajun Thief. Gamma took the spurning personally, and used it as an excuse to leave the team, seeking better opportunities for romance and heroics. Now, well, of course, I mean, of course Magneto is the better choice. I mean, here we have Gambit, a man who does have an incredible skill and is a very charismatic man, but he just doesn't match up to Magneto, the, like, savior of the mutant race. The fact that Magneto and Rogue were able to touch gave Rogue more of a sense of normalcy than she would be able to have with a relationship with Remy. The Kelly Pact. Kelly Pact, indeed! So often do I rely on the naivete of humans, and so rarely am I disappointed. Apocalypse. The Kelly Pact was introduced by the human representative Robert Kelly as a way to make peace between the Human High Council and the Empire of Apocalypse. The Pact hoped to end all callings and genetic experimentation amongst the forces of Apocalypse to prevent both sides going to war which would have devastated the entire planet. The Human High Council was themselves in a difficult position. Their only response to an attack by the mutants was to suffer or launch a nuclear strike, which itself was an unsure method of rebuttal. The Sea Wall, a massive construct that stretched across the coast of North America, consisted of thousands of miles of defenses meant to keep Americans in and the rest of the world out. The seawall was one of the first things that Apocalypse made sure to establish in his domain. It was a way of keeping those who may have tried to flee his country locked inside. And, unfortunately, millions of people who tried to escape were forced to work on the wall itself. The wall was filled with laser defenses, 
massive constructs, and even teleportation devices allowing quick access along the several hundred thousand mile wide stretch that guarded all of North America. The members of the Human High Council included Moira and Bolivar Trask, the world's foremost human expert on mutation, and her husband, the designer of the Sentinels. Along with them were Emma Frost, a former mutant whose powers were forcibly removed through lobotomization, and Mariko Yashida, a Japanese businesswoman who had worked to represent the remains of the Asian population that had been decimated by Apocalypse's early attacks. Brian Braddock, another member of the council and owner of Braddock Industries, meanwhile was aligned with Donald Pierce, an agent of Apocalypse, who pushed him to hold the humans off from taking any action. They were in a stalemate, waiting on information that might let them know it was time to attack. Residing in Big Ben, the last landmark of the European empires, where the humans stood with their finger on the doomsday button. The Flesh Shapers. My task is to genetically amplify the powers of Homo superiors deemed unfit for the cause. And I do love my work. Certainly I'm well compensated for my labors, but between you and me, I do this for free. Henry McCoy. At the heart of Apocalypse's empire sat two opposing forces of the genetics world. Mr. Sinister was a mysterious figure who had been a cohort to Apocalypse for well over a hundred years, as well as serving as one of his horsemen. Sinister sought to control bloodlines through genetic breeding programs that would naturally ensure the strongest mutants possible, and he enjoyed surrounding himself with pairs of mutant siblings. At the top of his class were the Summers brothers, Scott and Alex, who had been orphaned at a young age. Scott, the more charismatic of the two, found himself quickly advancing as a leader in the mutant community. Ironically, while he was a visionary, he was cursed with destructive optic blasts that required the use of specially designed ruby quartz glasses. Meanwhile, his younger brother Alex had grown up in Scott's shadow, making him bitter and angry, which in turn pushed people away from him. Alex held the power to harness ambient energy and release it, which in turn made him a destructive force, equaled only by the destructive force of his own ego and attitude. Other children of Sinister included the French-Canadian Bolbiers, Jean-Paul and Jean-Bury, along with the American Aronson brothers, Jesse and Christopher, more commonly known as the Bedlam brothers, and the Bosnian St. Croix siblings, Marius, Nicole, and Claudette, and last were the Guthries, Elizabeth and On the other side of the genetic field was Henry McCoy, a brilliant but highly unethical scientist dedicated to perfecting his army of infinites and the mastery of the genetic code through its deconstruction. McCoy's tampering with his own genetics had transformed him into a bestial form, but it was his actions slaughtering thousands that truly earned him the moniker The Beast. The infinites were his primary focus an army of mutants who were artificially advanced at the cost of a shortened lifespan, with few living longer than a year. They were the result of countless deaths, recycled from people who had been reduced themselves to a genetic slurry, all for the purpose of an army to serve the cause of Apocalypse, before they would be returned once more as genetic material. Now, Beast and Sinister are one of the more interesting of Apocalypse's followers. Beast was an... Incredibly, like, insane man who 
only used his brilliance to further his own strange abominations. Now, unlike everyone else, Beast had no loyalty to anyone in particular. He only wished to serve those who would allow him to create his own monsters. Sinister, on the other hand, had his own goals and agendas in mind to try to take back the world and become the ruler instead of Apocalypse. Now, Apocalypse respected this because it fell into his survival of the fittest, knowing full well that he could stop any of Sinister's schemes at any point in time. When Apocalypse's own son, Nemesis, had been broken by Magneto, and then charged with deadly events of radiation by the Japanese X-Men Sunfire, in retaliation for his actions on Japan, Beast was the one who was trusted to fix him. As the son of Apocalypse was left in an almost purely plasmoid form, Beast outfitted him with an exoskeleton and rebranded him as Holocaust. The Man Called Bishop Once Bishop came into our lives, I discovered that choice is a luxury that is quickly fading into nostalgia. Magneto The man known only as Bishop was an anomaly in the world, and ultimately his true goals and fate remain a mystery. Found by the X-Men during an infinite calling raid, he and Magneto immediately recognized one another. Bishop, himself a mutant, had apparently been at the scene when Charles Xavier was murdered, and blamed Magneto for the death, stating Magneto was the one who should have died. Bishop is such a strange and enigmatic figure because we do not understand the world that he came from, if he actually came from another world. All we know is that he had been there when Xavier and Magneto had died. He had memories, or at least visions, that did not match reality as we understand it. And then at the end of the Age of Apocalypse, when the X-Men had risked their lives and lost members, he vanished without a trace, while our world, which he said would not continue to exist, did and does to this day. Magneto's doubts in his position and the state of his world steered him to question his own reality, so he pledged to help Bishop undo the world that he lived in by sending him back in time, even if it cost Magneto his son. After some deliberation, Magneto formed a plan to assist Bishop, he would require Irene Adler, also known as Destiny, a mutant with precognitive abilities to verify Bishop's story. At the same time, Magneto would need to send a team to space to retrieve a piece of the Imkran crystal, a legendary object that contained the multiverse within it. And finally, a third team was required to retrieve a mutant with a dormant mutant time-traveling abilities named Ilyana Rasputin. With the plan set, they hoped to undo the Empire of Apocalypse, putting all of their trust in a stranger and the stories he brought with him. Up next on Multiversal Q is Earth 8311 with Our Wild Planet. Remember to come back tomorrow night for Multiversal Q's Age of Apocalypse Part 2.